From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everyone. We're happy to be here with you. I know that, you know, you hear a lot of stories about Christopher, and this is just a funny one about me. Uh Uh-oh. You didn't tell me what it is. <laughs> no, this is But I trust surprise. you. Thank you. Thank you for trusting me with this. No, it's just a just a normal human kind of funny thing that happened with me recently. I have a, a good friend who has a nickname for me. Um, she has many nicknames for me, actually, and it's all very sweet to have these nicknames. But one of her nicknames for me um, is Dieters. She'll call me <laughs> Dieters. This is a good story. Do you know what happened? Yes. <laughs> so one day recently I was in a grocery store and I saw a display for a, an herbal tea that I had never seen before. And it was called Dieter's Tea. Dieter's Tea. And I was just like, it was as if my dear friend was just like right there with me in this tour. And I thought... <gasps> Dieter's tea? I have to get that. And it was a cinnamon flavor, which, you know, I kind of like cinnamon. So I thought, oh, how sweet. And I just picked it up and stuck it in my cart. And I kind of went through the store with this little kind of affirmed feeling in me, like, oh, there's Dieter's tea. <laughs> so I'm, I'm carrying that in my cart as I go to check out. And I'm putting my things on the conveyor belt. And suddenly I looked at it again. And I realized it says D-I-E. T-E-R apostrophe Which just S. happens to mean, or be pronounced. Dieters. Dieters. Tea. It was tea. dieters. <laughs> dieters tea that I got so touched by. <laughs> so I accidentally, unintentionally bought myself this box of dieters tea, just so I can keep laughing at myself for how is that silly like, it was. Is that like a laxative? Is that- it is. It is actually oh, like a purge. Dear. Yeah. Like here's, you can lose weight with this <laughs> cinnamon purge. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, that that is a little funny thing about me, but it has to do with words, and sometimes in our podcast we do get into words and really properly understanding them, and we have a question I wanted to ask you from one of our listeners that has to do with words. Let's do it. There you go. There's a tie-in. So John asks this question. He says, why do the saints, even the mystics, seem obsessed with being a slave, he put that in all caps, a slave to Jesus and Mary, if God isn't a slave driver? Mm-hmm. Great question. And you're right, Wendy, it has to do with words and what meanings we attach to them. And it also has to do with certain biblical translations mm. where Paul says, I am a servant of Jesus. Sometimes that can be translated, I am a slave, you mm-hmm. know, depending on who did the translation and what word they chose. And obviously in the modern world, the word slave has gotten connected to something uh, that all causes us to revolt. You know, there's a obviously and understandably and rightly so a very negative connotation to that word. We don't want to be slaves of anyone. So there is a sense uh, in which it is entirely wrong to think of ourselves as slaves of God Uh, And here, John Paul II says, the paradigm of master-slave is utterly foreign to the gospel. Mm. Let's just sit with that for a minute. That's so beautiful. And let's let's really let it go into our hearts in such a way that it rearranges the furniture in there, so to speak. Mm. Because the fundamental lie that we have believed, this goes back to original sin, it's kind of in our 
blood, if you will. We've inherited it through original sin. The fallen condition of humanity, the default position, if you will, mm-hmm. in our fallenness is to believe that God is the master and we are the slave. And this is the paradigm that the father of lies set up precisely to get us to revolt against God. Right. And isn't it interesting? He plays off the very image of God in us, which is to be free. Right? We, it's because we're made in the image of God that we feel this instinctive, deep, deep desire to be free and not be wow. the, the slave of anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is the, this is one of the greatest signs of our being made in the image of God, this, this call to freedom, this desire to be free. And so the enemy, the devious SOB that he is, uses the very truth that we're made in the image of God to get us to rebel against a false image of God that he introduces. Okay. That God is a slave driver, that God is a tyrant, that God wants to keep you down, that God mm-hmm. wants to whip your back, that God wants to crush you, mm-hmm. that God wants to snuff the life out of you. If you give him the chance, you got he's he's going to he's going to hurt you, he's going to destroy you. Christ comes into the world to undo precisely these lies that we have believed, to mm-hmm. cast out definitively the false image of God from our hearts and from the cross. And in his whole passion, Jesus is saying, you, you don't believe that God loves you? Let me show you how much God loves you. You think God is a slave driver? I'll take the form of a slave to demonstrate to you that God is here not to enslave you, but to set you free. You think God would whip your back if you gave him the chance? I'll let you whip my back to demonstrate to you that God has no desire to whip yours. You don't believe that God wants to give you life? You think he wants to snuff you out? No, 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 no. I will let you snuff me out to demonstrate to you that God wants to give you life and life to the full. Stop persisting in your unbelief. Stop persisting in that false image of God as a slave driver and repent and come to believe God is love. One of my favorite lines in the New Testament is when St. John says in one of his letters, we have come to believe in God's love for us. Mm. It sounds like such a simple thing, and from one perspective it is, but that takes a lifetime of inner conversion, of, of that inner rearranging of the furniture, so to speak, to really come to believe it, not just in our heads, but deep in our hearts. We, you know, we all have memories of childhood going to religion class at Catholic schools or CCD, it was for me. Um, before I went to Catholic schools, I went to CCD. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they call it that anymore. No. Uh, but, you know, you, what do you learn? Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay, so we've all heard that a million times. <laughs> but, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? I mean, in our marriage, I remember saying to you, Wendy, I don't know, five years ago maybe, I, I said, I think... I'm finally believing that you really love me. Mm. Uh, and that was coming in a place of my heart at the time of, of, of a, just a, we were so vulnerable in this desire to be loved. Yeah. And it's so scary really to make ourselves that vulnerable because we're afraid that we're not really living under friendly skies. 
Um, and we all have these memories of being painfully rejected, painfully treated, painfully not known and not seen and not acknowledged and not affirmed or laughed at or made fun of for this. And, you know, we can, as adults, think, oh, those are just memories from childhood and it doesn't really affect me now and I got over it. I don't know. I, I think these things go pretty darn deep. And, and I, I think ultimately it's connected to this idea that got in way at the beginning of our humanity that we're not under friendly skies, uh, that God is a tyrant, that God's a slave driver. Jesus comes definitively to cast that idea out of our hearts. <laughs> mm -hmm. We got to let him in there to do it. Um, all that to say, God is not a slave driver. The paradigm of master-slave is utterly foreign to the gospel, as John Paul II says. And John Paul II is a great saint, but he had read the writings and loved the writings of many saints who probably did use this word. Yeah, one of, one of John Paul's favorite was St. Louis de Montfort. So how do you think he reconciled their yeah. use of it and his firm statement there? It's a great question. I do recall John Paul II offering some caution when he would recommend the writings of St. Louis de Montfort. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. He would say things like, uh, he wrote at a different time, his language might be uh, abrasive to modern ears, but if we look underneath the words, if we look to, to the real meaning at what Louis de Montfort was getting at, he says the gems, the, the hidden treasures are undeniable. Mm. So there's an acknowledgement there that just because a saint said it or used a certain phrase or said certain things, I mean, you, you can find all kinds of things in the writings of the saints uh, <laughs> that can, especially to modern ears, just seem really strange or weird or just wrong. Mm. And in my copy of Louis de Montfort's True Devotion, uh, I have just as many X's in the margin uh, saying, I don't like this, as I do stars and mm. exclamation points saying, this is awesome. So we don't have to think just because a saint said it, therefore it's some gospel truth. And Pope Francis acknowledged this in his document on, um, gosh, I forget the, the exact title of it. It came out in March of 2018 on the call to holiness. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a really worthwhile reading. When the church canonizes a saint, Pope Francis has said, it's not saying everything this saint did or everything this saint said is just to be emulated or, or, or put into practice. You know, there's, there's in all of our lives, there's a growth curve. Mm -hmm. There's a, maturity, a maturing that happens if we're really on the journey. And we can see that in the lives of the saints as well. So bottom line, God is not a slave driver. We are not slaves, but there is a sense in which we're called to serve one another in love. Mm -hmm. And if we can get the language of serving in that sense, right. not a servant in the sense of servitude or, or slavery, but service in the free gift of love. And when I hear that word slave used by people who lived at a time that wasn't as necessarily sensitive as we are to the affront to humanity that slavery is... I can hear it as an expression of trust uh, and, and also an expression of surrender yes. in, a, in a free kind of way, not a coerced surrender, but in just a sense of true trust in God's goodness that um, enables that person to express the level of 
a trust in God as a willingness to be a slave only to because of the knowledge of the goodness of God's intent. That brings up a very, very important point that, and I could put it this way, if the deceiver was right that God is a slave driver, then Eve was absolutely right to rebel. Adam and Eve, our first parents, were absolutely right to rebel. It's part of our dignity that God himself gave us that we're not meant to be enslaved. But if God is love, perfect love, and all he has in his heart for us is a desire for our good, then we can surrender entirely to him, trusting wholeheartedly that we will not be dominated, we will not be controlled, we will not be enslaved. We will be loved, honored, liberated, and exalted. This is the God we have. This is the God that Jesus Christ reveals. Thanks be to God. Yes, That's the indeed. God we have. Let me give you another question. Jacob asked, my ministry job is taking so much time from my family. How do I find balance? Let me know, brother, when you find that, and uh, you, you can uh, give me some advice here. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, we're going to invite you on our show. Yeah. You're going to help us all. Wow. Uh, Jacob, I've been doing ministry for since the early 90s, so a long time, and it's been, it's been an ongoing struggle. I remember one of the first times, Wendy, that you really challenged me. Uh, we were living in Denver, and I was so busy with a new job, director of the Marriage and Family Life Office. I was gone a lot of evenings, mm-hmm. teaching classes, and gone weekends on occasion doing marriage prep. And, and I found it really hard, especially when you don't have a normal nine-to-five life. I've never had a normal. No, ministry isn't that yeah, way. ministry is not that. It's not a normal nine-to-five. I've always found and still find it hard to take the necessary time off because there's not, oftentimes there's not a normal weekend built into my schedule, which means I have to take off a Monday or a Tuesday or a Monday and a Tuesday if I've been working all weekend. And, you know, you're in the zone where the whole, the rest of the world is working and I'm, I'm trying to have my weekend during the week and there's always so much to do when you're running a ministry. And I, I was recalling the memory, we were in Denver I had so much to do, and I was invited by a prestigious Catholic magazine to write an article. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Do you remember this? No, this. I, I'm curious to see what yeah. you're going to say. So, yeah, I was invited to write this article. I was trying to establish myself as a writer at the time, and you, you rightly pulled me aside and asked me not to accept that, and it was hard, uh, but I knew you were right. And I, I, I remember calling the magazine and saying, it's not going to work for me. Uh, so there, the point is, there, there are deaths along the way mm-hmm. that we need to, to die in order to find that, that balance. Um, maybe, Wendy, from your perspective, you can share, looking back at all these years, 20-whatever years, of do- well, we've been married 23 and a half, so... 23 and a half years you've been dealing with right. me trying to find this balance. What are your reflections looking at, at, at that? Yeah, I think a lot of communication with the family is important. And sometimes when we are feeling things, um, frustrations with one another, we might have to look beneath the surface a little bit to ask ourselves, why, why is there this 
tension and annoyance with one another? What it, What is it really underneath there? You have an example to share? Well, I was, <laughs> I was just going to make a, a stupid joke that annoyance? Well, you're, you're never annoyed with me. No, no, Can no. you even think of one time you've been annoyed with me, Wendy? I don't... <laughs> And likewise, likewise. And I think, you know, that tuning in to our own hearts and being willing to share. And even if, you know, we're talking about children or, you know, people who aren't very good at expressing themselves in words to look at other signs that we're feeling um, neglected or resentful, it's really good to take a step back and, and talk and pray and just to reevaluate how are we um, balancing. And I, even now, you know, 20 years and more in, a, a frequent prayer of mine is, Lord, grant us holy balance. Mm. Because mm. I don't like the thought that being, you know, on fire for the Lord's work would mean being unhealthy no, and imbalanced. Can't mean that. Can't mean that. And, and yet it's tempting it is because very... we know we're passionate about what we're doing and there's always more work to do. And so, yeah, that frequent prayer, Lord, grant us holy balance. Yeah, and it means saying no to good things. It does. There is no way to have balance, the, mm-hmm. that healthy balance you're talking about, if we're not learning how to say no to good things. And I have found that very difficult over the years. I and I can say that there are different seasons in a family's life yep. where, you know, a different amount of time is needed together, a different amount of help might be required um than at other times. And I can remember very well when we had our second baby, I, I remember sort of dreading at that time you did go to work at the Archdiocese of Denver Monday through Friday and I can remember dreading your departure in the morning and longing for your return because I was not really fully up to the task that was before me with the lack of sleep and the ages of the children and their needs and I can remember it being four in the afternoon and thinking I wish he would just come home now, you know, and well, he works for the Office of Marriage and Family, like (laughs) he should come home, you know, and I I had to own that and express it and not just think that this is unacceptable because it it was a real time in our life that needed that. Jacob, here are a few final thoughts for you. And I, I learned this from a dear priest friend of mine, that when there is imbalance, in other words, when we are maybe leaning towards doing more ministry, more minis- mission work that would take us away from our family, and, and maybe your wife and your kids are suffering as a result, oftentimes there's an identity issue going on that men oftentimes, uh, women too, but maybe it's a more of a male problem, we tend to look for our, our identity in what we do. And there are accolades that we get in being affirmed in what we do, especially when what we do, we do well. And there are, there are times, I remember one time I'm sitting in my office, this was maybe 10 years ago, I was sitting in my office writing a book, and I have a, an office, a home office that's off the garage, so I could see through my window into the kitchen that Wendy was making dinner, and, and I knew she needed my help, we had young kids, and I thought, well, I'm going to go in that house and I'm going to feel the analogy that came to mind was, you know, I'm a right-handed guy. I throw a football with the right hand and I, 
I would feel like I'm throwing my, my football with my left hand. Uh-huh. Like, and I don't want anybody to see me when I'm throwing my football with my left Aww. hand because, you know, you're, you're insulted when you're a kid. You throw like a girl. Well, I feel like I throw like a girl when I'm, when I'm trying to help with domestic things. But when there <laughs> I am in my office and I'm writing a book and I'm good at it and I'm throwing with my right hand oh. and I feel affirmed and I feel I'm doing, uh-huh. it, I'm doing a great job at what I'm doing. I know I'm going to go in there and I'm going to f- just wither away like I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how to help. And, and that's not a good place to be. That's, I mean, that doesn't feel good to be in that place. But it is a good place to be. Because the only way you can learn to throw with your left hand is by throwing with your left hand more and more often. So we have to, we have to be willing as, as, as husbands here to put ourselves in those situations where we, we, we may not get the kudos, we may not get those b- benefits of accolades or whatever, but mm-hmm. we know we're serving our wives and our kids in the right way. Yes. This I also want to say, Jacob, I learned this from a, a dear priest friend years ago that has, has served me well. Here are our three priorities as men in ministry, married men in ministry. Number one is our relationship with the Lord, deeper union with the Lord. Number two, deeper union with our wives. Number three, deeper union with our children. Number four is ministry. And when we have that in its right order, your ministry is not less fruitful, it's more fruitful. It's more fruitful because it's flowing out of a properly ordered life. I don't live that perfectly, but I, I, I know it is the right standard, and I hold that out to you as well. Yes, and Jacob, even if you're not married, I think you should recognize that your family members do need your time and attention, and that um, that kind of balances for everyone. Yeah, if I was assuming you were married and you hadn't said that, I don't know why I was assuming that, but well, it's, maybe because it's my own life situation. I just wanted to expand the answer because yeah. we don't know. That's right. Bless you, Jacob. Yes, and thank you for your question. And I have another question for you, Christopher. And the question is, what is God's plan for how the complementarity of man and woman should be exercised in parenting? That's mm. from Peter. Sorry, I didn't say that at from the beginning. Peter. What is God's plan for how the complementarity of man and woman should be exercised in parenting? Great question. It would take a long time to give a thorough answer. So just some food for thought, Peter, which is pretty much what we do all the time. Just offer food for thought. That's right. So here's where the sexual difference matters. You cannot be you you cannot become a father or a mother. Right there, we see the sexual difference, right? The sexual difference, what is its purpose fundamentally at the the natural basic level is to make a man a father and a woman a mother. This is the purpose of the sexual difference. So the very word parent doesn't recognize the distinction. Mm -hmm. And there are commonalities. Obviously, we have the word parent for a reason. There are commonalities, but a, a, a man parents as a father and a woman parents as a mother and those differences are important now we've exaggerated those differences in previous eras often in favor of men to make their lives easier and with a bit of prejudice towards women and now in the modern world as a, a, a reaction against that one exaggeration, I think we've taken it to the other extreme. Mm. 
and we've almost eliminated the difference or we're trying to eliminate that difference. And that's mm -hmm. just as dangerous, mm -hmm. maybe even in a way, maybe even more dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous to exaggerate the differences for sure, but it's also really dangerous to try to eliminate them. I remember, Wendy, this, so Thomas is now 19. He would have been maybe seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So 11 or 12 years ago, I remember Thomas saying to me something like this. He called me Papa. He said, Papa, when you hug me, it's, it's really strong and firm. When mommy hugs me, it's kind of soft and round. <laughs> and then he... <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Thomas. <laughs> and then he said, no, it was, it was coming from such a dear place in his heart. He was reflecting. He was like, he was like in the zone of like really reflecting on the ultimate meaning of things or something as an eight-year-old. And he said, and then he said, and I need both. Yes, he did. I remember that. And I need both. Now, we live in a world where sometimes that's not possible. Uh, there could be a death in the family. Your dad died when you were yeah. eight years old, Wendy. Um, there, there are tragedies where, you know, sometimes divorce is, is necessary because of abusive situations or what have you. Sometimes relationships don't work out and it's not the mom and the dad are not there. But even in those situations, the parents can recognize something's lacking, something's missing. Single moms and single dads, these are, these are some of the heroes of, of, a, of the culture when they embrace that challenge and do everything they can to raise their, their children. But there will be problems mm -hmm. in a society with a lot of fatherless children or motherless children. Right. And that itself, those problems are indicators that we come into the world from a man and a woman who become our mother and father in bringing us into the world. And human beings are the kind of creatures that aren't independent when they're born. Right. Uh, if you look at just the natural world, I think the, the human being uh, has the longest need, the longest time of dependence on its yes. parents of any creature in, on planet Earth. Wow. I think that is true. Um, and if there's anybody who knows otherwise, you can you can correct me on it. But we we certainly have a very long span of dependence. Yes. And you know, again, looking at the natural level, sometimes it's not possible for an infant to be breastfed, for example. Sometimes that's not possible. But if you look at the way God designed things, mm -hmm. you can recognize men don't have breasts, men don't give milk, and women do. Uh, in the natural order of things, that would be the ideal, where the the child who is entirely dependent on parents for safety, for nourishment, for mm -hmm. love and care, that that child would be fed at the breast in the normal course of events. Again, right. it's not always possible, but that's you can see that is God's plan. And you can see there's a difference between men and women here. If a baby were to latch onto my nipple, you're getting a mouthful of hair. Just saying. That's all I got to give. <laughs> No thanks. So, Not so here's, interested. Here's just an, an obvious example of where the sexual difference matters in parenting. Mm -hmm. And I think there are analogies that you can extend from that on the whole reality of parenting. The way a father is going to parent a teenager is different than the way a mother is going to parent a teenager. And in the mm -hmm. ideal world, teenagers need both. Mm -hmm. I, I would love for you to shine some light on this too. Yeah, I think some, you know, there are people who are more expert on this question than we are. But we can certainly affirm 
the things that we've observed in our own experience and other people's experience that a big example in our lives that you know we've struggled through at times has been a sense that fathers enjoy encouraging their children to take risks yeah Often, this has been a- they play in you know even from a young age in a in a rough or a little bit scary way from the mother's perspective i think you know kind of tempting fate <laughs> uh, taking chances and they they like to see the kids uh, you know take chances and sometimes that is overwhelmingly scary and sometimes it's just a little uncomfortable for the mother you know that that's just a generalization not in every case but i can remember a specific example of a place that we like to visit in pennsylvania called holtwood pinnacle that's an overlook of the susquehanna river and I can remember a time when we had small children and we hiked down on the rocks to get closer mm-hmm. to the water. Mm-hmm. And I found it so stressful because we, the rocks were, you know, just not easy to walk on. And mm-hmm. it, for small children to just keep their balance and not fall was tricky. And I'm holding the hands of little ones and feeling just kind of like, this is not pleasant. I don't like this. And, and the next time we visited Holtwood Pinnacle... I was struggling with the thought that you wanted to take the kids down there. And what I really reflected on was Christopher is their father. He really loves them. And that, the sense that God Mm. gave them two parents, and you're one of them, (laughs) he knows better than I, right? And he chose you to be their father. And I know because I know you that you really love them. So I said, Thanks, Wendy. Yes, you can take them on the rocks. I'm not coming. And I waited at the top and enjoyed the view of the river. And I think there was in me a little prayer for the kids' Mm -hmm. safety. And I think someone came back with a scrape. But I think that was the right thing to do, to say, Mm -hmm. you father them. It's It's not always comfortable for me to be present for it, but I can still say it's good. It's good for you to do that. On your own. Thank you, love, for stressing me there. And there have been countless situations where I know you have, there's been a struggle in your heart to to allow me to do that. And there have been times where, going the other direction, I have needed to listen to your heart because maybe I was taking too big of a risk with our kids. Mm. And we have had some some tensions there. Uh, but I do think that does exemplify, in our experience, yeah. you, you know, and you could go to, I'm sure you could find a couple maybe where it was the opposite, uh, maybe where the mother was taking a little more risk. I, I don't want to make a yeah. an absolute statement of fact that this is always the... You know, this is always the way it is. But it has been our experience for sure that in my fathering, I have naturally wanted to take more risks with the kids. Mm-hmm. And in your mothering, you've naturally wanted to, to have a little more of a safety zone. Yes. And I do think that stems, in, it's, in our experience, it has from fathering and mothering. Right. And I think it probably is most people's experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for, for allowing your heart to be stretched in those ways. Yeah. In allowing me to, to father and... Thanks for bearing with me as well. And I, I have learned so much from you, Wendy, in the way you mother. Mm. Uh, we need to learn from one another to become the father and mother we're meant to be and find that balance. We found a lot of help in a book called Parenting with Grace. Remember we read that? Oh, yes. And found it really, really helpful. That's by Greg and Lisa, Lisa Popchak. Yes. Uh, we recommended them before. They have great stuff. Mm-hmm. So check their stuff out. Greg and Lisa Popjack's book, Parenting with Grace. Very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, everybody, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. If you have questions you would like us to address, please go to AskChristopherWest.com. You can leave a question there. You can also leave a question by giving us a review and just leaving your question right there in the review space. Our show notes are also at AskChristopherWest.com. And we would love it if you would also continue the journey studying more and learning more about Theology of the Body by signing up for the free course called What Do You Want? which you can learn more about at AskChristopherWest.com forward slash free course. Yes, thanks for listening today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Till next time. God bless you. Take care. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Another listener asked this. Uh, Jacobs asked. Jacobs? I'm sorry. Plural? No. Jacob. Jacob asked. Okay. I think I kind of meant like Jacob has asked. Oh, Jacob's, Jacobs asked. asked. Got sorry it. Got it. That, I'm yeah. with you now. Okay. Jacob. I was going to think that's an interesting name it to is. have a plural. You're right. Or was it two Jacobs who asked the same question? <laughs> Not that. Let me say it again.